Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome in on a Thursday morning. It's a Joe Ingalls day. Joe Ingalls will be joining us early, 7.30, which I assume means that he's got to be at an 8 a.m. workout this morning. That's usually what it means. You can usually back time, usually time Joe's day. When does he drop the kids off at school? Because he'll talk to us after they're out of the car. Or... What does he have to be at the Jazz? And then he calls us 30 minutes earlier. He's always said he's a morning guy, so no surprise that he's up for uh, us at 7.30 and has an 8 a.m. workout. And then his teammates, who maybe aren't quite such early risers, get to take a later, a later, a later time. Find out from him uh, what the, uh, where the workouts have progressed. Too. A little curious about that. Uh, when do they get to start playing two-on-two or three-on-three? And then also there's a 125-page summary out of you know how it's going to work in the bubble answering questions details rules one of the stories i read said that like you can use cards during a card game but when the game is over the cards are done there'll be plenty of cards you know they're trying to minimize the chance of infection i really think the big question here is how many disney workers do they have to interact with because those are the people who are going to be out in public and then coming in and interacting with them. And how can they limit that? Um, I'm a little surprised, and maybe they will. I'm a little surprised I haven't heard them having have some workers stay in the bubble. So it would have to go worker outside to a worker who's inside to someone. But I don't know, maybe that's too complicated. But anyways, I'm curious if Joe's read that over and what the oddest... Uh, what the oddest thing he's seen in there is. How, how bizarro does it get? Um, there's a lot of details still to iron out. I was, I was talking with a bowler, and he's going to join us at 8.30 this morning. I was talking with Bowler yesterday and with Scott Gerard too, about, you know, how is it going to work with the media? You know, who's going to be there? I don't think the local broadcasters are. I've never thought they were. Um, but, you know, will there be some national guys who kind of serve as pool reporters? Will there be Zoom calls with local, uh, you know, radio, TV, and uh, print people after games? So, you know, you get the normal post-game quotes and interviews that you get, whether it's for a post-game TV show or our show in the morning or, you know, online or on TV or whatever on the local newscast. So a lot of questions still to be ironed out, and we will talk with, uh, we'll talk with uh, Joe about that coming up at 7.30 this morning and then Bowler at 8.30. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. <coughs> Excuse me. And the, uh, the countdown's on. The, it's now, I guess it's like uh, about three weeks till they'll go to the bubble. And then it'll be three weeks, about three weeks after that, that they start playing. So six weeks out to the NBA restarting. It's getting a little closer. Getting a little countdown on. Baseball seems to be making progress in their negotiations, too, because as one of the stories I read said in the headline, they have to. Which is true, they do. You know, you, you, you make money playing games. You don't make money if you don't play games. And you don't get to play all 82 this year in basketball. You don't get to play all 162 in baseball. They can't control that. But, you know, get something out there. And I think we are going to see a 16-team playoff in baseball. The basketball playoffs, pretty close to similar. They will have these, possibly, they'll have these playing games of a ninth-place team. So within four games of an eighth-place team, have a two-game series, and the ninth-place team will have to sweep it. I did see the J.J. Reddick calling it the Zion Williamson and I, I'd like to, I'd like to see JJ interviewed on this because I wonder how much he's saying this because he thinks it's true, and how much he's saying this because he's trying to uh, get a rise out of Zion. I bet if I had to guess, I would say 100% he believes it's true, 
and not knowing exactly the relationship he's got with Zion or their senses of humor, I bet it's still better than 50% he's trying to get a laugh out of Zion on that. And that's the rule for you, big guy. They're trying to keep you in play. That would not shock me. And it could really break into a little, uh, you know, nice little marketing deal because, you know, with John Morant in Memphis and with the Grizzlies in eighth place and with Zion Williamson in New Orleans and the Pelicans with a chance, we'll see if they do it, but with a chance to be in ninth place and, you know, be the team that uh, forces that uh, two-game series. Um, you know, that'd be a nice little matchup, you know, two young guys, the future of the league and all that stuff. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Stay with us more in a moment. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, time to talk a little basketball with Kyle Collinsworth, former BYU Cougar. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Kyle, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. I'm curious if you uh, have gotten anything resembling basketball in your life in the last few weeks and months, or has this been the longest break you've taken from the sport since you were probably, I don't know, four, five, six? Yeah, this is the longest probably since my mission, since it was a two-year break. But oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it, it's been... Uh, it's been different, but it's been good. I've been able to do a lot of different things to stay in shape. I've recently taken up mixed martial arts. I've been doing that for about a month. So training to get my black belt and just doing a lot of different things. So it's been a nice little break. Nice little change of pace. What has uh, this players in the C- uh, not the CBA, it's the G League now, what have they been told as far as basketball for now? Uh, just that the season's canceled, and you know most guys are just moving on to next year. So I, they haven't said anything as far as you know whether they're going to play or start in time. So that's still up in the air as far as that goes. Do you have any idea what your options are and what you're going to be doing this next season, or is everything up in the air for you? No, I've already I've signed. I'm just I'm not allowed to officially say yet so yeah we already know what we're doing so we're pretty excited about it when you say you you talk about you and your and your wife is that what you was that what you mean yeah so yeah me and my wife so we, we were going to a new place next year and i think we'll leave august or september so we're super excited for it just a new opportunity new chance to play and and uh whole different area so tantalizing we want to follow up on this but you can't say you're getting a lot of trouble i want yeah. the dirt kyle <laughs> gave you some clues right new area new place traveling <laughs> i i uh well uh jake our producer contacted you and he was saying that you had some stuff but you couldn't really get into it so i'm not surprised right. by this but i did drop a guess on jake and jake you remember what i said right and we'll see if it comes true uh, probably not. I'm probably up in the night. So, in your experience, what's your guess? Uh, <laughs> well, 
there were just the way he said it. I wondered if you were going to be involved with that new G League uh, team for the players who are um, not going straight <clears throat> to the NBA. Uh, I think Brian Shaw is going to be coaching it. Nope. No, oh, never mind, Yuck. <laughs> you don't have to remember that. I'm already wrong. Yeah, I took it as, Kyle, you were going to go somewhere overseas. And I'm interested to see how what what your mindset is because – you're an American guy, so obviously that would not be your country. And you've played in the NBA a little bit. So what's your thought as far as staying closer to the NBA and maybe get an opportunity to get back in the league or going someplace else that may be far away and maybe you're not on somebody's radar? How does that work? Well, for me, it's like I've played in the NBA, and I know I'm an NBA player. So for me, what it's about is, being able to retire early at age 35, you know, getting as much money as I can, taking care of my family. So for me, I know who I am. If an NBA team called me right now, I could go and produce. I could do my thing, you know. So I'm not – I'm just more focused on creating that financial freedom for my family. So – how much did you come up with this uh, on your own, and how much did you talk to other Cougars or other players around the state? Because you obviously played your high school ball here, and there are a fair number of players who've gone to a wide range of countries. How much did you draw on their experiences, and, and how much are you just doing this because sounds like a good plan to you, and you're doing it? Yeah, just mostly it just sounds like a good plan to us. You know, it just felt right. At the end of the day, it's like, what do we really want? And you know, it's to be financially free and to be you know more blessed in that area of our lives moving forward so that's really what it came down to and it just felt like a good fit how much fun is it to go to other places in the world in basketball i would think is basketball but to be a part of other cultures that are out there that you get to experience yeah i think that's the best part and that's what we're most excited for is to be on the See new things. You know, I, I'm a big believer in order to make change, you need to step into uncertainty. You just need to be doing new things and experiencing new things. So we're really excited about it. It's always very fun and interesting the first couple of weeks when you go through and everything's just so new. And just making that adjustment towards it, I think, is very important for progression and growth in life. What have you learned since uh, leaving BYU? The Texas Legends, the Dallas Mavericks, uh, the Raptors, Raptors 905, the Stars. You've, you've played with a lot of guys. You've played for a lot of coaches. you met a lot of people. What do you know about basketball know, now that you didn't know when you, when you left the Y? I think the biggest thing is just, just continue to be me and be confident. You know, confidence is such a huge, huge trait to have you know, especially in basketball and in life in general. So the biggest thing is just always keep my confidence and play to my strengths and do what I do best. So what's the deal with you and the physical fitness? I mean, you have uh, – is that a business you've got going on there? Um, I guess kind of. So my, my goal is I want to help over 100,000 people get healthy. So what we started – monthly guide so every month this year we'll have a habit for people to focus on I just want to help people realize that getting healthy doesn't have to be so complicated 
you know, I'm trying to create simplicity for people. Because I truly believe, like, in order to create a great, healthy lifestyle, you just need to focus on one habit at a time. Where did you get your uh, your interest in this and your passion for it? Because if people aren't on social media and aren't following you, and, and PK and I are, so we see it, you've got a real passion for this. Yeah. I think just through my own experience. At the end of my sophomore year, I tore my ACL. And the doctor told me if I, you know, changed my lifestyle, the way I ate and did certain things that I could come back in under six months. And I came back in five and a half months from ACL surgery, which is ultra fast. and Didn't miss a game the next year. And I just started incorporating these new things in my life. And I just feel so much better, so much less stress, anxiety, just feel, you know, just overall better. I sleep better. So it's been a journey for me. But over the last six years, the biggest thing I discovered is, you know, it's about adding one good thing into your life at a time. And it's been amazing to see how much more good's been added to it and how much bad stuff has just naturally gone away. Because too many times we focus on, like, don't do this, don't drink soda, don't do that, instead of just focusing on, like, one thing you have to do that day to improve your lifestyle. Just put all your energy towards it, and with time, it compounds and grows a lot. Okay, so I don't think you were in a situation where you had to be all that concerned about weight loss, but a lot of folks are, particularly as they get older. And what would be your counsel to them? If somebody was serious, whether they needed 20, 40, whatever, whatever the amount of pounds is, and, and they came to you and said, Kyle, what should I do to get started? What's the best thing for me? What would you say? Uh, well, first, I try to tell people, like, to shift their mindset from an external, and obviously everybody wants to look good and, and the weight and stuff, but really focusing on improving how you feel. Because I always feel like weight's just a byproduct of doing good things, like losing the weight. So, but in order to get better, one thing I'd say, and people, it's very, very underrated, is just simply walking. Like, everybody can walk. I just think we sit too much and we don't move enough. And if we can kind of change that a little bit and just walk after meals, take a certain amount of walk in the morning. So I'd say walking, believe it or not. Because sometimes we think and, you know, we see on social media, if I'm not running three miles a day, if I'm not doing some extreme activity, that I'm not going to get results. But I don't believe in that at all. So the first thing I'd say is walking, and then the second thing I'd say is intermittent fasting. I'm just creating from dinner to breakfast, you know, 12-hour to 16-hour windows where you don't eat. You still drink water. And the big why that's so good is it allows your body more time to focus on healing itself and not on digesting food. So I'd say intermittent fasting and walking. And we've created two monthly guides for both of those for people to follow. I'm curious your take on uh, BYU basketball as you've played professionally. Probably sometimes Mm -hmm. you have a chance to follow it and sometimes you really don't have much of a chance to follow it. So it's maybe a little hit and miss based on your work. But uh, curious here is uh, as Dave Rose retires and and, uh, Pope takes over, what have you seen? What do you like? Where do you think the challenges are? You know, obviously BYU will have the same challenges it always has, you know, with 
recruiting sometimes and on the code and different things like that. But I think they've done a great job of embracing that. You know, I think as BYU, we don't need to hide from that. I think it's a great opportunity for people to come live a higher standard and to really focus on basketball because that's really what it comes down to. You get a you get a chance to really focus more on basketball and get it all you got. But I was over there in the office a few days ago, and you know I'm really close to Cody Feger. He's somebody that we've grown really close. He was the ops guy when I was there at BYU. He's helped me a lot in my career. So me and him are really close. And obviously with Coach Pope, he coached me as well. But the biggest thing I love about those guys is their energy and commitment. Like their energy is off the charts. And I feel like they, they together have a definite purpose of taking BYU to the next level. And I think you guys could all agree you can just feel that energy for that goal. So that's the biggest thing I love about them, their energy. And that's why people are – we're getting transfers coming because people can feel the energy and excitement that they produce. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about these transfers. It's an interesting deal with BYU. It seems like they were – I don't want to say chasing, but certainly recruiting are open to bringing in so many of them. And whether there be, I guess you can consider this loner kid a transfer to an extent. He'll be a freshman, but then they've got a couple of seniors that they had. Barcelo was an undergrad himself. So you got a couple guys who'd be there for more than one, but guys who would only be there for one, and it seems like they're all in on that. What type of challenges would that present as far as bringing in guys for one season? Well, I just think you don't have right enough time to build chemistry. But I think, you know, right away people know what the system's about with, you know, Coach Pope. They have a great offense that's very dynamic, great spacing. It's a very pro-style offense with a lot of ball screens. So it's easy to come in and just play basketball with them. If you know how to play basketball, you'll fit well with Coach Pope's offense. But it's been exciting to see him land all these transfers because that's a that's a big difference. As someone who played at a school and and got to build relationships over time, how much do you think the player loses in that area versus what they gain? Obviously, if they play more, they win more. Uh, what do you think of that balance? Yeah, I think the the plus is like they'll be able to go right into BYU and build relationships in a year. I bet if you were to talk to Alex Barcelo, that he's already very, very close with the BYU coaching staff, which, I, which I've heard, and he's only been there a year, right? So I don't think it will take long to build relationships, and, and at the same time, you'll be able to join a program that finished, I think, what was BYU's best ranking, 14, 15, something like that? Yeah, something like that. At the end of the season. Yeah, so you'll be able to get, you know, both great relationships and win games. You talk about looking for financial freedom, and and when you get to your mid-30s, maybe see about doing this other stuff that you've been speaking of. So with that in mind, what's your expectation as far as the length remaining of your playing career? Uh, I'm not not sure. So probably six, seven years. Could go longer, could go less. I don't know. So I'm hoping for at least that, continue to play for a while. I enjoy it, and I enjoy Like you said, the biggest thing I enjoy is just the relationships 
you know, over the last four years, I've come really close with, you know, four or five different people that have been a huge blessing in my life and have taught me a lot. So that's, that's the best part. And I look forward to, you know, creating new relationships and creating more memories. One of the relationships that I saw you had seemed like uh, it was an enjoyable one is Dirk Nowitzki had had some fun making fun of you. I would imagine that you took that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We actually still, we text here and there. He always tells me that my diet advice isn't helping him and he's, it's too hard to follow and he keeps gaining weight. But <laughs> <laughs> just joking around. So, yeah, he's obviously one of them. He's my favorite player growing up as a kid, so it was surreal to be able to play with him and be friends with him to this day. What did you learn about him up close and personal that people who watched him can't possibly know? Um, I think he had a, like an, an unbelievable balance of play and seriousness. He knew how to keep things really, really light and fun, and he knew how to like, shift gears really fast and get into serious mode. I think for him, you know, throughout the years, that helped him to deal with pressure and just to remain. He's like a giant kid. He jokes around all the time. Group chats are nonstop, you know, making fun of people, joking with people. So he's really fun to be around. And obviously his dedication to the game is, and his just attention to detail. It's pretty cool to watch him and his shooting coach shoot and do some of the drills they do how kind of unorthodox it was, you know, to me or to some other people watching, but to them how how much detail really went into it. Shooting left hand, spinning, shooting with more arch on certain shots. So it, it's pretty cool to watch. But he's just a, he's an elite guy, a great guy, and obviously a winner. Well, Kyle, we appreciate the time and a few minutes. Good luck with your next adventure, whatever it is. We look forward to finding out what it is. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Kyle Collinsworth, the former BYU basketball star, joining us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Can't, find out, can't wait to find out where he's going. He's going to do something different and unusual, I heard. I, I get the whole China thing, and with the Jimmer connection, that makes sense to me, but I don't know how different and unusual that is. What would be different and unusual about it? There have been enough... High-level college guys and NBA guys and have recognizable names going to China. I wouldn't think that'd be it. But maybe there's something about it. We'll find out soon enough. Thanks to Kyle for coming on. Brian Kelbrowski, NBA reporter for Hoops Hype. What is he saying about the Jazz in the draft? What is he saying about a high-profile Cougar and a well-known Aggie in the draft? We'll get to Brian Kelbrowski next on Sam Merrill and Yoli Childs in the Jazz. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. We're joined now by Brian Kelbrowski. NBA reporter for Hoops Hype did their most recent NBA mock draft. Brian, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. 
You know, under normal times, we'd be about a week out or so from the draft. It'd be uh, it'd be bearing right down on us, but these times are anything but normal. How much do you think the draft changes? Before we get to a couple of local guys, I know you got your eyes on. How much do you think the draft changes because it's a few months later? Or do you think it pretty much just plays out the way it would have played out if they were doing it uh, you know, in late June like normal? You know, I actually think uh, specifically when it comes to the guys that you're talking about, uh, that are local, uh, it plays out in their favor because I think that, um, you know, there's so much uncertainty surrounding this draft class that players that we've seen uh, experience, you know, um, you know, be around for, for several years now, uh, I think have an advantage because I think that there's just more film on them. And when you, when you really don't know much uh, about what the pre-draft process is going to look like, whether or not there's going to be a combine, whether or not any of the usual circumstances surrounding the draft are going to be able to happen, um, I think you want to go with what you know. And I think, uh, you know, in that sense, seniors are really going to rise in the process. You see any stars in this draft? Uh, I think LaMelo Ball could be a star. I think he has the most star potential. I think he's the most special and unique player of the guys in this particular class. Um, I don't think that he's a sure thing by any stretch. I think that there are certainly red flags uh, about um, you know his game, that uh, you know his inefficiency, his his kind of weird looking jump shot. Um, you know those are both red flags for sure. Uh, and I think you know realistically there are going to be teams that don't want anything to do with the ball family. And I think that that is merited. Um, it's not necessarily how. I would feel, but at the same time, I would understand why a general manager wouldn't want to, um, you know, dip their toes in that water. Um, so I would say LaMelo has the most potential uh, to be a star. And then I think there are other guys, you know, if you look back at the, the draft class where Anthony Bennett went number one, um, you know, Giannis was in that class as well. And I think that uh, Rudy Gobert was in that class as well. And I think that, you know, you look at those kind of guys, I think those are bona fide stars, but they didn't go in the top three. So I could definitely see a player being selected, you know, 15 or 20, um, whatever it might be, uh, that might that might have uh, as much star potential as someone like Anthony Edwards. I think Anthony Edwards, you know, fits the bill of like a prototypical NBA wing, uh, pretty similar to, to me, uh, like Donovan Mitchell. I think that he's got a lot of those qualities, um, but I think it's going to be um, hard to build a franchise around him right now, uh, or at least I can't say with certainty that I would feel confident building a franchise around Anthony Edwards. Um, I think that you could not say the same about Luka Doncic, Trey Young, um, you know, Zion Williamson, a few of the guys who've been selected in recent years. I think that it's uh, very different, you know, in previous classes where there was at least one or two bona fide, this guy's going to be a star. So is, is there an international guy you think has a chance to be a star, even if he's not going to be the number one or number two pick? Uh, yeah, I would say my biggest bet there would be Killian Hayes out of France. Um, you know, he's, he's really uh, somebody who's been a, a very, very impressive scorer off the dribble, uh, off the bounce for many years. He's been able to create an isolation uh, and score for himself. And I think when you look at star power in the NBA, um, the guys who can lead the league in scoring by creating their own opportunities uh, probably have the biggest opportunities to do that. And then I'm not even sure if that's the last name, but I, call, I just call him Poku, uh, Alexej Poku, uh, longer last name than that. It's Greek. Um, 
he he's really a really phenomenal young player as well, and he has real boomer bust potential. Um, he's a seven foot playmaker, and he's really wiry. Um, but I think that you know the numbers that he was putting up uh, this season and rebounds, assists, points. Uh, and blocks um, were similar to the rebounds that Giannis was doing uh, when he was in Greece. And, you know, Poku was playing in the same league, the Greece, uh, the same league in Greece that Giannis was playing, that Giannis played in. Um, and I think that he, he has some, some really, really big star power as well. Um, I don't think that I would bet money on that, uh, but I think that, you know, I could foresee a scenario, foresee a reality where that could happen. You already mentioned ball. Uh, it seems like a lot of kids out there that you can classify as a point guard. Point guard has a, uh, a broader definition than I think it used to be. But outside of ball, who I think you have going number one, who would you rank? What would your what would your ranking be of of the next guys for point guards? Yeah, uh, I would say Killian Hayes would be would be my number two point guard. I think you know he and Ball are both combo guards. Um, and I think, you know, when you, when you kind of look at the tiers, I would say that's sort of the tier, the tier one point guard right there. Um, those are, those are my two, my two favorite, uh, primary ball handlers. Going down the list, uh, going down the list a little bit, um, I would say Kira Lewis out of Alabama. Uh, is somebody that I think, Kira Lewis Jr. is someone that I think people really, really need to pay close attention to. Um, he, he reminds me a lot of De'Aaron Fox and John Wall and Ish Smith. Um, in their in in their ability to just run fast with the ball, uh, speedy ball handlers, you know that's an elite skill. Um, they could play in a fast tempo offense. So I think Carol Lewis Jr. does a phenomenal job of that. And I think another guy that we need to keep an eye on, who also is a bit of a combo guard, um, is Tyrell Terry uh, out of Stanford. Um, I reported yesterday that Tyrell Terry actually broke a franchise record, or not a franchise record, but broke a record um, for a uh, basketball intelligence test um, that uh, is administered by about six or seven different NBA franchises. Um, basically, it, it tests your instincts, your ability to make the right reads. It's not, you know, a wonderlick test. It's, it's a strictly like basketball IQ test, um, you know, that goes off of reaction time and things like that. And realistically, um, he also is an incredible three-point shooter and an incredible free-throw guy. I mean, he could be a 50-40-90 guy in this league. Um, I think, you know, I've interviewed him. He, he's getting the Trey Young, Steph Curry uh, comparisons already. Uh, the problem is that he's very, very young. He's 18, 19 years old, uh, only played one year at Stanford, and just looks like a little boy still. Um, I think if he grows into his body a little bit more, puts on some muscle, um, he, he's up there in the top five point cards for me as well. You did an interview with BYU's Yoli Childs. You got him in the latest mock draft at 40, so you know, kind of early in the second round. And does it really come down to the pick-and-pop shooting that, that everybody wants shooters, and he showed he could do that? Yeah, I think I might be the biggest Yoli Childs believer outside of Utah, man. Um, I, I don't know what people are missing with him. Uh, I'm not sure why it feels like I'm the only guy that has him in mock drafts. I think that he is one of the biggest sure-thing players in this draft. Um, I think realistically, Yoli Childs is somebody who just blew me away. Uh, I've interviewed him two years in a row now because he tested the waters last year. I had a great conversation with him last season before he decided to return uh, to Provo. And realistically, man, I, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't find enough stock in the guy. Um, I think you know, second round is a fair evaluation for him. 
uh, considering his age. But I think whoever gets him is going to get somebody that they can rely on for years. And I think he's going to be a great clubhouse guy. And I think he's going to be a great, um, you know, basketball player as well. And I think that, you know, your, your goal as an NBA player, um, you know, beyond the minute should be to earn that second contract with the franchise that drafted you. And, you know, that's somebody who I think uh, can very well do that because I think that he has that kind of, um, you know, understanding and maturity. And so we talk about, you know, the pick and pop and his shooting obviously uh, played a really big role as a, as a senior at BYU. I think his, you know, near 50% shooting clip from the three is beyond insane. I mean, I never would have expected in a million years going into the season. Um, but, you know, he showed it to us, obviously, once he did get on the court. Um, but I think, you know, the other thing with Yoli is that you're, you're drafting an adult. And I think that um, that goes a long way because a lot of guys flame out uh, really earlier in their career. You know, they finally get their million dollars, their goal their entire life, was not to be an NBA basketball player, but to be a first-round pick and make the millions. And they made the millions and they, um, you know, got that first-round pick and they, they stopped caring. I think that, you know, that's a real thing that you see in the NBA all the time. And you see that from top to bottom. Um, and there are some guys who just can't handle the lifestyle. I cannot say the same about Yola Charles. I feel the exact opposite way. I feel like he um, is someone that I'm confident can absolutely handle it. Do you have any thoughts about Sam Merle out of Utah State? Love the guy. I think that he's uh, maybe the most underrated player in the draft class next to not Andrew Oli Child, man. Um, I don't know what it is about, you know, these Utah players going under the radar. Maybe it's the the, uh, the eternal uh, payback for Jimmer Fredette flying so high above the radar. Um, but I think that Sam Merrill's productivity uh, was phenomenal, phenomenal. And I think that um, when I spoke to him as well, because I've interviewed him too, um, I haven't published that interview yet. I felt a very similar kind of connection to him that I did with Yoli. I'm just like, this guy's an adult. Like, you know, when you're interviewing freshmen, you know, these NBA French franchises right now are doing these interviews over Zoom. You know, it's hard. It's really a challenge to, to connect that way. Um, Sam is going to be somebody that, you know, they're going to be able to really see what you are. He has a very clear idea of who he is. Um, he, he's, a, he's somebody who has good size for his position. I think that, you know, he might not be the most incredible athlete. He's not going to jump out of the gym. Um, but he's somebody who I think you can count on to, to get that ball in the bucket and, and make the right basketball play. And, you know, I, I really – I'm biased talking Sam as well. I think that he, um, he he really proved something to me uh, over his four-year career, man. I mean, he's a great shooter. And, you know, the athletic John Hollinger, who used to be a phenomenal writer for ESPN and then worked in the Memphis Grizzlies front office uh, for, for several years as well. Um, you know, he, he thinks that Sam is the most underrated player in the draft as well. And I think that he makes – uh, a lot of good points and, and identifying that. So, as I look at the uh, at the assessment of these two guys, and this is uh, Brian Kabrowski joining us, NBA reporter for Hoops Hype, did the most recent mock draft. The two things they have in common, maybe why they could be overlooked, I guess there's three. One is people could just be wrong. So we can set that aside. Two, uh, it's your point that they are mature and grown up and do they like drafting 19- and 20-year-old guys who have more upside? Yes, you have to deal with some immaturity, but there's more upside, whereas these guys are more finished product, and they're not projecting them to get a lot better. And then the other thing is, do they just not think these guys are athletic enough to stay in front of anybody in the NBA that they're going to be matchup issues, and that's why they're falling? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at Yoli's improvement year over year, headed into his senior year, I mean, no one saw that three-point shooting come in. That wasn't one of his strengths and ended up being one of his most elite strengths. So 
you know, you're seeing him continue to develop, you know, even at this age. And yeah, the truth is these guys aren't first round picks because they'd probably rather get a 19 year old who can develop and, you know, has more of a ceiling. Um, but, you know, I think in the second round, you're looking for guys with high floors. And I think that, you know, realistically, uh, there's going to be a lot of seniors in this class uh, that do have those high floors that we're talking about. Um, and I think that, you know, for me, it's really easy to see, at least offensively, the role that both of them can play. Defensively, I'm more concerned about um, Sam than I am about Yoli. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't trust Sam defensively. Um, I think that he, he can definitely, you know, when he's fully working on his body and his conditioning with an NBA trainer, um, can become, you know, a more uh, polished version of himself. And Yoli has a great frame and a great size. And I think that, you know, you look at guys around the league who, who, are, who are solid defenders. I mean, even Brandon Clark, who doesn't have much of a wingspan at all. I think that, you know, he's built fairly similar to Yoli. Um, I think that realistically, you know, Brandon Clark was one of the most impressive young defenders in uh, the draft last season and, you know, was one of the best defending uh, rookies then, um, you know, as a, as a rookie for, for Memphis. I think that Yoli can, um, you know, kind of model his game defensively off someone like Brandon Clark, who might not be a seven foot two rim protector like a Rudy Gobert, um, but can still, you know, make the most of his body and, um, you know, figure out the ways to, to lock in. And Yoli, he's built, man. He, he's he's uh, he's definitely going to be even more of a gym rat. Um, I think heading into you know this NBA draft process too. And I think that you know I could see him putting on even more muscle uh, to an already impressive frame. You speak of the NBA draft process, and we normally know what that means because it's the same every year. Well, this year obviously is different. What do we know about the process that is actually going to happen in the coming months? Um, you know, Intel. You know, Intel is huge. Uh, knowledge is power. You know, there are NBA franchises that you know call reporters like me, and they ask for what I think of certain guys, um, and that's a real thing. Uh, you know, the more that you can hear about a player, the more that you can learn about his background, the more that you can um, understand, you know, his maturity, um, where, what his uh, self-identifications are, where his rooms to grow are. Um, I think that all of those things are, are crucial uh, for identifying, um, you know, the next NBA star. And I think that uh, when you look at that, you know, you kind of look for, for things that have worked for you in the past. Um, and I think whatever you can do, whether it's virtual or in person, uh, to fig- figure out ways to um, identify those traits, uh, you're going to do it. And I think that, you know, there's going to be more time for Intel research than, than ever before. Um, so I think that you're going to get a lot more uh, deep dives into these players. I mean, you know, the franchises are still, you know, the scouts are still doing, you know, full reports on players every day. I mean, you know, they're, they're folks that are looking into, you know, which six foot eight guy is the best in the pick and roll as a ball handler. You know, there's, there's those conversations that are, that are happening still regularly across the league. And, um, you know, they're going to find specific, uh, specificities um, that I think that, you know, are really important. And I think realistically, um, you know, you're going you're gonna to eventually get some version of a combine. I think I could see a scenario where it could be virtual. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> but um, I, I just foresee a situation where, uh, you know, as much knowledge as possible is going to go a long way here. So it's interesting you say that. One of the guys, and you had him ranked as the last pick in the first round of your mock draft, is uh, Nico Mannion. And his dad played at Utah, so people here know him. His dad played for the Jazz and did 
broadcasting for the Jazz five years, and he did radio shows with us for a while. So we know him, and we knew Nico when he was in elementary school. So it's kind of a weird deal to know someone in elementary school who's now a projected first-round pick, but just barely. We saw him in the lottery. We saw him in the top ten in some mock drafts. But when you do the deep dive on Arizona, because we were paying attention, Nico's strength had been running pick-and-rolls, and... really dominating in that setting, having the ball in his hands all the time. He goes to Arizona, and honestly, at times, I thought I was watching an offense out of 1987. You know, bring the ball up, throw it to the wing, go and screen away. I mean, it was really old school. Clearly, he didn't shoot the ball well. The numbers were, they they weren't even mediocre. They got bad in big stretches. But he wasn't playing the way he played earlier, and he wasn't playing the way I think he'll play in the NBA. So when you do a deep dive, who sticks to the numbers and who says, hey, let's look past the numbers because we think when we put him back in this situation, he'll be better. And, you know, there are some numbers there that are good, too. He had the second-best assist rate among all freshmen um, in the NCAA. I think that goes uh, a long way. I mean, assist rate is a huge part of what makes a point guard. You know, he's a, he's a pure point guard in that sense, and he does have good size for his position. Um, I think that, you know, there are going to be some teams, uh, and I, I mocked them to Boston, but there are some teams that have multiple picks in the first round. Uh, Philadelphia is one of them. Boston's one of them. Both of those teams need backup point guards. And I, I can't imagine, you know, teams that have multiple picks in the first round passing him two or three times. I mean, Boston, I think, has three first-round picks. I just can't foresee a scenario where they're up on the clock three different times unless they consolidate and trade up or trade down, or trade out. Um, I, I just don't see a scenario where he gets passed up three times by Boston. Um, you know, I think that, you know, you look at Danny Ainge, I think there's so many natural connections to, to Nico there. Um, I think that, you know, they, they had a similar style of play. I mean, I think that, you know, just, you, know you, you can just see that. You know, I think it's a natural fit. Um, you know, but I think there are other teams, you know, I mentioned Philadelphia, um, that, that I think could really use a backup point card. I think, you know, Milwaukee will look at them. Um, I think Phoenix uh, will definitely look at them. I mean, they picked DeAndre Ayton because of the ties to university there. Um, and I think, you know, Ricky Rubio is not the answer for the future, um, you know, in Phoenix. I could see, you know, Nico being, being a potential option there. And that's the great thing about Nico, too, is he is an incredible passer and facilitator. His assist percentage is, you know, astronomically high. And if you look at it that sense, um, you know, I, could, I would love to see him running pick and roll with DeAndre Ayton and distribute into Devin Booker. You know, he doesn't have to be the, the, the ultimate scorer if Devin Booker's on the same. So, I mean, I think, you know, Phoenix at 10 has a real shot at taking a look at Nico, a real shot. Um, you know, I think that uh, for me, I just think there are better options than Nico. Uh, I like Tyrese Halliburton better for out of Iowa State. Um, you know, for Phoenix particularly. Um, but I think that there are going to be options for Nico uh, all scattered across the first round. And I, I still would be very surprised, you know, if he fell out of the first round in a way that, like, Bull Bull did last season. Um, because, you know, Nico doesn't have character issue concerns. I mean, he comes from, comes from a mature basketball family, you know, represents his country um, for Team Italy. I think that you know, he's somebody who realistically, um, you know, people are going to buy in. It's just a matter of how early they're going to be willing to buy in. Um, but I think that the numbers don't reflect the player that he is. Well, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and uh, talking NBA draft with us, Brian. Brian Kilbrowski, NBA reporter for Hoops Hype. I guess I better ask you, and it, the Jazz could be drafting anywhere between 21 and 26 or whatever. You got any line on who they might like, or is it – 
too early to know, and there are too many people in front of him. Tell me if I sound closer to the draft, and I'll, I'll give you as much intel as I can by then. Um, I could tell you that you know a lot of the guys that I have in the first round um, have done Zoom calls with 25 to, to 28 NBA teams. So I imagine that Utah um, has been among those 25 to 28 teams for the guys in the first round. Um, so realistically, uh, you know, I could see it's in a situation where the guys who you know you've heard good things about Utah probably likes, um, but I can't. I can't quite give you any any uh, scoops yet uh, because I, I don't have much intel in terms of um, you know guys that I think uh, could really fit. Let me. I mean, I'm kind of pulling my brain a little bit here, um, but yeah, I think realistically, man, um, probably closer to the draft would be the best. Um, would be the best uh, best time to do that. Brian, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on with us, Brian Kilbrowski. Yeah, of course. Who's Brian Kilbrowski, NBA reporter for Hoops Hype on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. When we come back, the headlines. What's trending next?